Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show, and happy Valentine's Day weekend as you are anticipating Valentine's Day coming up, whether you like it or hate it. Happy Valentine's Day. Anyway, you know that I love it and I'm not ashamed to say it. So just putting it out there. Okay, on to the show. Later on for our inbox, we have a girl who started attending a young adults group at her church and the pastor of the group happens to be a single guy who really likes her. So she's like, this is kind of awkward. I don't even know how to respond to this. Well, one of our counselors is going to give her some pointers. And then for our culture segment, our friend Dr. Mike Bechtel is back with us to chat more about the dangers of being a people pleaser. And now in part two, he's going to share ways to overcome people pleasing, really with some great strategies and understanding our tendencies towards that. So you don't want to miss it. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and we thought maybe not exclusively because of Valentine's Day, but just because this is something we're all up against anytime, you know, if we're in the dating sphere. What do you do when attraction is not mutual? So, of course, in an ideal world, you would be attracted to someone, they would be attracted right back. You would both agree on this. You would both sign a paper that would like indicate your mutual level of attraction. It never works this way. And even if someone is attracted to you or you think they are, it's not like they're going to tell you all the time. So that's super weird and you never know where you stand and then you want to be direct, but then that's hard too. So anyway, this is just really tough. And so fortunately, we have got Alex, Josh, and Hannah here uh, to maybe weigh in on this conversation. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. Elise. All right. Great to have you. Okay. Let's go ahead and just put it on the table so we can get personal experience. What have been situations that you've been in where for some reason attraction was not mutual, whether it was you being the disser or the dist? Either way is fine. I think that a story that I have been thinking about in prep for this episode is um, back when I was in eighth grade. Let's kind of do a little rewind back into 2012. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> my... <laughs> that was like yesterday. But... No, sorry, sorry. Okay. No, just uh, my, my older brother is visiting some colleges, and so my family has this idea to turn um, a bunch of college visits into a vacation, like a little bit of a road trip. Uh, we visited a lot of national parks. Um, it was very, very fun. And he was dating someone at the time, and I was not. Because I was also, I mean, I was very young. I think a lot of people had this experience of being attracted to people that weren't attracted to you back in middle school. Because yeah. really no one is <laughs> attracted yeah. in middle school. Yeah. Um, so I really liked this girl and I had her number. And back in the day, the way, the first step of getting into a relationship when you're in eighth grade is texting. Mm-hmm. It's like a little texting phase. Everyone knows that. So the entire summer, we were driving around and for a, a little bit of the summer, uh, my brother's girlfriend hops into the road trip with us and she like maybe stays with us for a week so for this week i am texting this girl that i like and she is not giving me any signs and the entire time my brother is in the back seat cuddling with his lady and it was in that week that i discovered michael buble's album uh to be loved and did i just literally crank that on repeat for basically the rest of that summer because there's this feeling in me of just like no one loves me (laughs) 
and so and my brother has someone <laughs> and I don't. I'm waiting for the redeemable value of this yeah. story, Alex, because this just I'm sounds about sad. The texting <laughs> and how it would have been like ten cents a text back in my day, and how no, like that just was not practical. We had the unlimited okay. plan, and did I did I wow. use up all the unlimited? Wow. Ba- yeah. basically and it still didn't summer. work for you. That's still didn't work. That's and, very um, sad. I do want to say that I am in a lovely relationship now. Mm-hmm. I am engaged, so there is a light at the end of, end of the tunnel for me, at least. Um, but but not with that girl. No. no. <laughs> so and did Michael Bublé come into play with your current relationship? I at all? wish that there was as clear a tie-in. Um, it was just the <laughs> only enough. story I could think about mm-hmm. of the the biggest moment I felt this unrequited feeling. And of course, yeah. I mean, since then, I mean. One of my greatest pastimes is listening to the Bublés mm-hmm. and, the, and the Sam Smiths, like the unrequited <laughs> songs, because yeah. there's a special part of our human heart that loves singing about not being wanted. Okay. And I discovered that that summer. Okay. Wow. Josh, how about you? Yeah, this episode is opening up deep wounds yeah. for me. Uh, <laughs> gosh, on repeat, huh? Um, okay, so I'm in college. I'm at a Bible college. Let's all be honest. If you're at a Bible college, you're half there because you want to find that's right that right. godly wife and shouldn't everyone be thinking for, about the same thing and yeah. that's what i was thinking and so uh i come across this young lady who she will remain nameless for this episode <laughs> and uh she was like in my mind my mind's eye like the perfect girl and i pursued her and i let her know you know first the way we did it back in the dorms was you know you'd study together right like that's that's the way in yep uh, texting that's for the kids but <laughs> for us uh, more mature you know it was uh, yes. we we're gonna study together so we were and we grabbed coffee and I'm thinking okay she said yes multiple times now to one-on-one interactions and uh, so I'm gonna let her know I'm interested that I've enjoyed these interactions and she's like oh yeah but I really just want to be friends and I'm like oh okay so you know high school Josh would have been crushed and he would have moved on College Josh was a little more determined. (laughs) And so I let some time go by. We kept hanging out. We kept studying. And I just kept letting her know because I'm only getting more interested Mm -hmm. um, just how much I liked her and appreciated her and respected her and all these things. And she didn't move. She didn't, like, budge. Mm -hmm. And, again, I just stayed determined. And ultimately, uh, we did not end up together. Mm -hmm. And it was disappointing uh, at the time. It was – in hindsight, I can totally see how the Lord – did not have her in mind for me. Um, my wife's a much better fit for me, and we resonate really well. Um, but at the time, I thought this was the one. And so I think having to convince myself that there's this truth element, like of just because I'm fully interested and my emotions telling me she's the one, that doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a degree of just having to realize, like, no, this is a mutual thing that, like, I don't get to decide for the both of us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that was hard for me to work through at the time. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think um, I have a few stories on both sides, I think, but one that comes to mind for me was my first year in college. Um, I was working in a children's ministry at a church, and, um, well, let me back up. I guess a lot of my stories revolve around me not thinking about guy friendships, like me just not thinking very deeply and, like, I don't know, maybe not being aware of boundaries, like emotional boundaries, friendship boundaries, that kind of thing. And so anyway, it was a guy that I worked with in children's ministry and um, like really good friend. He was a great guy, but I had never thought of him any further than a friend. And one day I was on campus and he was like, hey, I am at the Starbucks 
like on this side of campus, do you want to come by and like get a cup of coffee? And I was like, oh yeah, like I'm right near there. Why not? And so we ended up sitting down and getting coffee and um, the conversation kind of got to, can I take you on a date? And I went, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm really ready. It's like, I don't know, I'm still trying to get settled in college kind of thing. And <laughs> I'm dating Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we And heard then it, it yeah. ended with, well, whenever you're ready, I'll wait for you. <laughs> and that's when I was like, oh, like, how yeah, do I... This was just a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I even, like, paid for my own coffee to, like, try and, like, you know, Signal. be yeah. clear. But, yeah. yeah, so it just came to that moment of, like, oh, have I done something to signal that mm-hmm. this... I don't know. Um, so, yeah, kind of coming to that, like, oh, I, I maybe should have thought deeply or deeper about mm-hmm. um, our interactions when yeah. I just really didn't, so... I find that it seems to me, and maybe you guys can, you know, agree or disagree, but I, I find that like women tend to be a lot more wily about like trying to make a lot of plays and being sneaky and being like whatever in to communicate interest and stuff. I am actually surprised at how many guys in, in my past, I am very clearly, I think, giving a friends only vibe. And then guys just are like, hey... I'm really interested. What do you think? And I'm just like, there was nothing that I said or did that would have communicated. Like, why? You know, whatever. And it's just, and I feel like guys just have to be kind of told straight up. Like, it's very, you feel like you're ripping off a Band-Aid. But a lot of times for guys, they're not into the subtleties. Mm -hmm. They're not into the, clearly, I'm treating you like every other guy in this church. But no, it's always like... But but again, there's an element of, we talk about it at the Boundless Show, of risk that is good to take. You're not going to know mm-hmm. unless you ask, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. so I'm all okay with that too. But it just is kind of surprising to me, whereas women will do the opposite. They'll like second guess, like, oh, he's probably not interested. He's not, they're going to put themselves down. Whereas mm-hmm. guys are just like full steam ahead. I'm going for it. You know, I mean, there's, she's talked, she said three words to me. So clearly we're meant to be, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just very interesting. I don't know. Does that, do you guys yeah. feel like that plays out that way? Yeah, I do see a lot of the guys <laughs> where it's a, a little bit of um, friendliness goes a long way in a guy's mind. They're like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Then maybe she's interested. Mm-hmm. I certainly did that. And then, you know, hyperinflated a lot of interactions with, uh, well, obviously this one gal and um, others too. But it is cleaner to just tell the truth, Yeah, I think. So I think you're spot on to say, yeah, guys, sometimes just need the clear interest, no interest. Give me the thumbs up, thumbs down. Don't don't mix words. Don't say there's a chance. Yeah. You know, you're telling me there's a chance. No, just yeah. be clear. Yeah. Here's, um, here's when a guy clearly but not clearly told me he wasn't interested we actually went out on a date and I talked his ear off for it had to have been three hours I mean not just talking about myself but like peppering him with questions which also can be super irritating um anyway so even after relaying this to a friend of mine she was like oh I definitely see a few things you could have done differently (laughs) like if your friend has to actually coach you in this you know something probably wasn't good but anyway I thought there was still a chance because clearly you know I'm so amazing and I was so interesting and so I thought you know so I like emailed him or texted him about something or whatever and then I was kind of just pushing it and asking him some other questions or something like that and he responded and I don't even it was something I was sharing about something and he's like 
Be encouraged, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Even I knew that's that a strong that friend zone. Quiet, that was the absolute wow. friend zone. Uh-huh. Yeah, no negotiation on that. Be encouraged, sister. <laughs> so sometimes now this friend, like when she wants to just shut me down for something, she'll be mm. like, "Be encouraged, mm. sister." <laughs> so it is kind of a kind of a funny thing. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about what would you say in since we're talking about the differences between men and women when it comes to, um, you know, where attraction is not mutual between two people, what do guys tend to be guilty of and what do women tend to be guilty of in either, you know, kind of my example is a little bit extreme, but how have you seen things play out where maybe it could have been done differently or maybe you feel like, eh, you know, you could use a little help in this area. Hmm. I I may be in the minority here, but I find everything is easier when everything is out on the table. Mm-hmm. Every single like intention, every single attraction, like if you are a guy listening and you like a girl and you're trapped in the I don't want to like change our friendship, I don't want to like make her uncomfortable, I think it's a lot you you experience a lot less regret when you say something clearly and don't be weird about it, don't say hey, you and I are going on a date no matter what. Just say like, (laughs) hey, let's talk about this like adults. I like you. Can we figure out what is happening? Because if you like me too, I'd like to go out. And if you don't, perfectly fine. I want to respect you in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a girl listening to this and you feel a similar way about a guy, you would not believe how ready every guy is to hear someone likes him. Even if he doesn't like you back, it is going to be hopefully a fine conversation if you guys are both mature adults. Um, And kind of like what you guys were saying before, as a guy, if I like someone, if I like a girl and she does not like me back, I feel so, like, respected, um, hurt, but respected if she comes out and says, I know you like me, it's not going to work because I don't feel that same way. Or if I go, hey, I like you, let's figure this out, and she responds with a clear, concise, like, not frilly answer i don't like you let's move forward i feel very respected Mm -hmm. i do feel hurt but like anything less than that gives a guy the wiggle room to believe what he wants to believe because the human heart wants to or at least my human heart i'll speak just for myself my human heart if i really like a girl i'll take anything she says and work it around to fit how i want her to feel about me Mm -hmm. and so the antidote to that women is to just be clear be blunt be brutal and if you're a guy i feel like doing the same thing and just kind of putting the attractions that you feel out and about i just feel like that induces a lot less regret going forward okay yeah i would say honestly on both sides just leading someone on is super easy to do mm-hmm. whether if it it's from uh not knowing how you feel or enjoying the friendship or liking the attention um, yeah, I think keeping someone on the hook and leading them on is super easy for both girls and guys to do. But yeah, just like you said, Alex, the remedy to that is being clear and being honest. And if you don't know how you feel, then think about it and be clear about that. Because ultimately, that brings a better friendship. It brings a better relationship if everything's on the table and it's clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of you are either married or engaged. Was attraction an issue for you at all at any stage of your relationship? Did you have to evaluate? Did you have to say, or maybe you were the one, like your spouse was like, I don't know if I'm that into you, but whatever. Or was it kind of more like, no, you both knew from the get-go or what? 
I may be exposing my relationship too much with this um, <laughs> story, but I'm going to do it for your sake, Yay. Mr. and Mrs. Boundless do Listener. Um, <laughs> with my fiance, we did not have an initial, when we met, like fireworks went off, a spotlight dropped on her and I was like, you are my wife. I know we're going to be married. Cause I know there's a lot of stories that I've heard of pastors having that experience and I just haven't had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was I liked someone else when I met Megan and as Megan and I got to talking, I liked her too. There was a little bit of, I wasn't like trying to be slimy and play the field, but I had feelings for multiple people and I was actually planning on asking out this other person. And then I found out she was dating someone else. And then I asked out Megan. And when I first told her that story, she was like, great. That was the second choice, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. Basically what happened yes. is. No, 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 no. Here's, plan let me explain. B, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. Um, regardless of how it started, with every other relationship that I'd had before Megan, it had started with this boatload of feelings that I had for women that I didn't know. And when we actually started dating, those feelings met with the reality of who that woman was. And oftentimes we just didn't fit. It just didn't make sense. Maybe we weren't good spiritual partners. Maybe we weren't just good partners in general. But with Megan, when we met, there wasn't that initial, wow, I know I want to be with you. There wasn't a boatload of feelings. But as soon as we started going out, like I remember talking to my roommates being like, every time I hang out with this girl, I like her more. It's crazy. Like this is like the most intense, like falling in love experience I've had when not actually having a crush on this girl in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I actually much prefer our story, obviously because we're getting married, I'm going to say that, but (laughs) I much prefer that story of, I actually really felt feelings for her when I knew her. And when we were going out, I actually had those experiences of love with her as opposed to this other girl that I didn't even know Mm -hmm. that I thought I really liked. Um, but that also didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, zero interest on my part. When uh, I first met Harmony, there was zero interest. And the um, I found out later she did. She had some, you know, oh, he's cute kind of, you know, crush vibes or whatever. But that was it. And um, it was over time of getting to know her, actually in the context of her family. So I would see how she interacted with her little brothers and her little sister and her parents. And I learned what kind of character she had, what kind of work ethic she had, what kind of person she was. And there, I distinctly remember there was one day I went to bed, no interest. I woke up the next morning and uh, I ran into her and the next day and I w- was like, oh, something's different here. Hmm. And I think my mind was just processing who she was as a person um, and the kind of girl she was. And that's when I started having interest. Now, I didn't know she was interested. So I had to navigate that whole thing just like anybody else. Mm. Um, like, hey, you know, it kind of <laughs> indicates. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, <laughs> but, um, but initially it was, it was months before I ever had interest. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. When my husband and I met, we uh, worked at a summer camp together and that camp had a rule of no dating during the summer. It was, it's a distraction um, to the ministry and, and like, I like, I wasn't opposed to the rule. Um, And I remember being put in a big group chat of everyone that was working at camp 
and seeing his little group me picture and being like, oh, wow, he's kind of cute. Um, and, and he would say the same for me. So I think initially, yeah, there was attraction. Mm-hmm. And then once we met, it was like, oh, we're really, really good friends. Like, we really get along. We have the same values. But yeah, all summer, it was a total game to be like, was that just a friendly brother in Christ move? <laughs> Or does he like me? Or is he trying to hide that he likes me and vice versa? So, yeah. And, of course, when there's a rule that you can't fall in love at camp, everyone falls in love. Absolutely. As soon as there's a rule. Yeah. Those group chats are dangerous because then you're like, you know, okay, the choice of emoji, what does that mean? Oh, my gosh, you liked my message. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Okay. All right. As we finish out here, how would you encourage the person who's listening who either thinks like – I'm overlooked. I don't feel like anyone's attracted to me. I'm so discouraged. Or maybe they have been rejected and they're struggling to move on in a healthy way. What's just a good way for them to have perspective moving forward and be like, this isn't the be all end all. You know, it's not your it's not your one and only chance. I do want to say that um, I realize that any advice um, from this panel, specifically just the three guests that are either married or engaged, might sound hollow to someone that is in pain and someone that has felt rejection. So my encouragement was, I want to encourage you with the Bible because the Bible is applicable for everybody. I was reading um, in Genesis, the story of Leah and Rachel just a couple weeks ago. And then we were doing this boundless roundtable, And I was like, man, who is a more rejected um, character in the old Testament than Leah? And I wanted to read just a tiny passage from chapter 29 about when Leah is naming her children. Basically, her and her sister Rachel have this huge rivalry because back in the day, how many kids you had is basically how loved by God you were and how, like, blessing you were to your husband. Um, Verse 32, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. And she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be, uh, was called Levi. And she, she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. And there isn't a tidy bow on the end of their story because they continue to have a rivalry and Jacob continues to favor Rachel. Um, so it's not a completely perfect analogy here, but... What I love about that story is she names three kids trying to get her husband to love her. Each child she names, each child she bears is like, now my husband will love me. Now this person who has rejected me that I love will be attracted to me, will be attached to me, will love me. And after three times and having no progress on that front, she names her fourth child Judah. Therefore, now I will praise the Lord. And I think that is a really great way for anyone who is rejected to respond to respond in rejection with praise to the Lord and also to know that the person who was rejected the most of all, Jesus Christ, is our mediator and he is the one who actually can fully identify with that feeling of rejection. That's a really cool way to worship the Lord is talking to Jesus, knowing that God, you were rejected by everyone. And to a certain extent, God also turned his face from Jesus on the cross. So he was like the most rejected of all. And because he was rejected now, I will never be rejected, rejected by the one that really matters, and that's God. And I know that is going to sound like a very churchy answer, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. You can really bring glory to God by worshiping him and praising his name. 
um, because the earth is his Mm -hmm. and you do not lack anything that you really need because our God is a good father and he wants to um, provide for you in every way that you need. So um, if you lack an attraction that you feel like you need, if you don't have it, God is probably glorifying himself by not giving that to you right now. So that may not be the answer you want, but (laughs) there's a good way to glorify God in that. Yeah. Yeah, I would just sum that up as God's sovereign plan to keep you without the wrong person. So Mm -hmm. everyone who didn't like you back was who God did not want you with, right? So um, I can see that in hindsight. Um, There's times when, you know, I thought I was going to marry that girl, and then it didn't work out. Oh, I'm so grateful I didn't marry Mm -hmm. that girl. Like, that's a good thing. Um, God does have a better plan than our plans, and um, that would be the in the moment, in the hurting, that would be the thing that I would cling to is that God's plan is strong and good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I would totally agree. Uh, and even to share a bit of a personal story, um, when I uh, was seriously dating and engaged to my now husband, I had this realization of like, oh, I don't have to like do anything extravagant to make him like me or love me. Uh, and I, I wish I had had that perspective in the past when I was looking at relationships, like I need to look for someone who I don't have to earn their love. Um, and how deeply spiritual is that? You know, we don't have to earn the Lord's love. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess for someone in that unrequited love, it, it, if there's no, if there's an earning of love aspect, then that's not who I think the Lord wants um, mm-hmm. for you. I think the only thing I would add is that we often look at relationships as a zero-sum game. We think that it's us exercising, like, we're going to make this person like me. This is the, you know, success for me will be I will have succeeded in that. And, but I'm always like, you know what? There's three people here. There's you, this other person, and God. And all people, all three, you know, are working together to, to see if this is, you know, something. And God can act upon the relationship in any way he wants but this person you know it's a two-way street of like hey you know what are you thinking what are you feeling and whatever and too often we think that um we we have to make something happen and you can't make something happen this isn't only for you to accomplish or for you to solve so well you guys thank you so much for weighing in on this i appreciate this good thoughts good thoughts thanks much your love is so deep Your love is so wide, it stretches so far, and reaches so high. Oh, this love you have for me. In all of my fear, in all of my doubt, your love is enough, it never runs out. Oh, this love that makes me sing There is nothing
Well, hey, everyone. We're here for this week's culture segment. And as I told you last week, this is a continuation of my conversation from last week with Dr. Mike Bechtel. And uh, he's an author, a speaker. He's a consultant with Franklin Covey. Uh, The book that we have been talking about is The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. And I said last week that Mike is so good at writing these books that are so practical on a number of different levels, primarily in the arena of relating to other people and understanding our own shortcomings, understanding the shortcomings of those that we're dealing with, and how do we just love others well and take on our true identity and walk that out and be willing to grow in the process. And so when it comes to people pleasing, I did say last week that I am a people pleaser. And so, um, don't try to take advantage of me, you guys. I mean, come on, just because I admitted that. So uh, anyway, Mike, welcome back to Thank The Boundless you. Show. Always good to be here. Okay, so I did encourage people last week that we were going to get to some solid strategies and solutions this week because last week we just talked about fears and how messed up we all are. And it's like, you know, of the five-ish uh, fears that we outlined or whatever, it's like most of us can probably pick a solid two that we know are just in our wheelhouse of what we struggle with. But um, you you basically, you know, you, you talk about some building blocks for the people pleasers, those of us who struggle, um, ways to figure out, okay, is there a way to do this differently? Or do I just take on this victim mentality about like, this is who I am and I just want people to like me and so I'm stuck. But the first that you mention is to really take responsibility. And I actually like this because, you know, so many in our audience know that I had my mom living with me for the last few years of her life, and I absolutely love oldsters. And I have got a neighbor right now who is 96 years old and who is just winning at life. Like, this woman is so sharp. And I mean, yeah, frail in, you know, I mean, hello, she's 96. But she has taken so much ownership of the changing times and things that she's you know, had to do to adapt. And you actually tell the story in the book about a woman that you saw in a coffee shop. Can you kind of relay that for us and kind of why that was a little bit of a light bulb moment for you? Yeah, I was at a coffee shop um, actually doing some writing. I was working on an article and an old, this older woman, she turned out to be 93, came in with her granddaughter who was in her 40s. Hmm. And they sat down together. And this woman, the way she was dressed, she was she was styling. Mm-hmm. So she was she had her act together. But they sat there, and uh, she, she had a little box in front of her that had the Apple logo on it. And she had purchased an Apple watch for herself and asked her granddaughter to meet with her to help her learn how to use it. She, she said, now I can do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And she says, I know you can, Grandma. Just you want me to show you how. She said, exactly. And so they started looking at it. And she said, uh, will this take my pulse? And she said, yeah. She said, okay, well, good. I'll look at it every morning, and if I have a pulse, I'll get up. And that's it, it was just she was so full of energy and life, and she went through, and she wanted to know how the GPS worked. She wanted to know if it would work for tracking her walks and 10,000 steps and those kind of things. And then they were going to meet again after she'd played with it for a while to go from there. She It never occurred to her that – technology might be a problem. It's just like, I can do this. I'll Mm -hmm. figure it out. And she was always growing and curious and moving forward because she didn't want to become a mental victim of her age. She didn't want to be a physical victim. Mm -hmm. She knew the reality. And I think that's part of it. Being proactive means I take responsibility. This is the reality. This is the truth. And now let's not become a victim of whatever it is. Let's just make choices and go on with life. 
Well, and that's so good because relationally, I mean, how I see this play out and where I feel you go in the book is this idea of like, if we were to cut off every person who at some point disappointed us or who, you know, we, we try to seed forward with some kind of people pleasing mechanism or we're hopeful, but then again, eventually we're going to hit conflict or they're going to disappoint us or whatever. So then we have to abandon that relationship and just find someone new. Well, we're going to run out of people like out of friend potentials. Mm -hmm. So that's why you're saying like to what you have control of is you and to take responsibility and say, yeah, this is going to be hard and relationships are hard and I have my own stuff and but I'm willing to do the hard work of gaining skills relationally and beyond and you know making allowances for others and learning the hard stuff well I think that it's like we'll we'll pay money to take lessons to learn a language to learn any kind of a skill my granddaughter and I uh, took a chocolate making class wow because she wanted it's to. She, she's very into baking. She's nine, <laughs> okay. She's 17 and just really enjoying And we had a great time together. But it's like if we'll spend money for a chocolate class, why wouldn't I spend a little bit of money to work on my communication skills mm-hmm. and a little bit of time and energy? Because the thing that I think a lot of us feel with a proactive thing is that um, we can't change. Like mm-hmm. you said, this is just who I am. It's my temperament. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be this way and I'm stuck with it. Mm-hmm. It's like there's some pretty simple things we can do to build our conversational skills without having to be artificial. Mm-hmm. And it's not trying to learn tips and techniques. It's learning who we really are, what our temperament is, how God created us. Mm-hmm. And the more we can be us, the stronger we're going to be. That's our superpower mm-hmm. in communication is our uniqueness. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think another one, uh, the next one that you set up really, which I think is such a an easy fallacy for us in our culture, is this idea of confidence. Like we will, most of us will assume that there are confident people and there are not confident people. And if you're not one of the confident ones, you're just stuck and you're just going to have to wade through life and figure it out and be at the mercy of other people. But then, oh, the confident ones, that's so great. And we talk about this a lot at Boundless, largely in the context of dating, because confidence, especially like for women, you know, they're just looking for that confident guy, like the guy who's self-assured, who knows who he is, who knows where he's going and stuff. But we don't realize like this is helpful relationally, regardless of whether this is a romantic relationship or whatnot. And you juxtapose that with arrogance. So talk to us a little bit about that, because so many people fear confidence because they fear they'll tread into arrogance. And then that's going to be shooting themselves in the foot because now people will hate me because I just came across as arrogant. So a weird, vicious cycle. But how do we breed confidence without treading into the perception of arrogance. Yeah, that's so good because it's it it is easy to move into what appears to be arrogance. Mm-hmm. It's a difference between arrogance and assertiveness. Arrogance means I'm coming across, I'm focused on on how good I am, whereas assertiveness means I'm I have the courage, the strength, the inner confidence to be able to share what I'm really thinking, to not avoid conflict, to use conflict and those kind of things. But as far as genuine confidence, It's like, if I don't know how to do something, then I don't feel very confident about it. And so I will put it off. I procrastinate. I don't know how to do this particular thing. And so I'm not even going to try because it's going to be hard. Then as soon as I try it, and I have to for whatever reason, all of a sudden I know how to do it. It's not as hard, and I feel more confidence. I can jump back into it. The first time we do anything is that way. And I think it goes back to 
being in our comfort zone. People say, no, if you want to really live life, you have to get out of your comfort zone. But they call it a comfort zone for a reason. The same reason you go to bed at night, you can have a great day, but you have to go back and recharge. So I think comfort zones are a good place to be. And then we step outside of it. That's uncomfortable. It's We don't know. We don't, we're not confident. But if I put one foot out and try something new, even if it's a different way of communicating, it's like now that little area has just become my comfort zone. So I stretch a little at a time. So if I am not comfortable with conflict and I don't want to give my opinion and everybody's trying to decide what movie to go to and they say, well, let's go see this one. I just go because I don't want to rock the boat or what restaurant should we go to? Well, they're going to go to a Thai restaurant. What if I don't like Thai food? I'll go anyway just because I don't want to do it. So this would be something as simple as saying, you know what, that's, I, I'm not a big fan of Thai food, but I certainly will go. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really prefer to try this place, mm-hmm. but it's your choice. Mm-hmm. Now, all I did was stick my foot into it a little bit and express my opinion. Mm-hmm. They may not go with me to that. It may be a different movie we watch, but at least I said it. Mm-hmm. I stuck my foot out. And that's where we, that's how we build confidence. Whatever we're not confident in, don't jump out and try to suddenly be totally confident, that's when it looks like arrogance. Mm -hmm. It's when I take a little step and just test the waters because now I'm confident that far and just grow into it. Yeah. Interesting. And it's so, I mean, I think people can get so worked up about this because I know um, there are times, I mean, there are going to be a lot of things for myself, for example, where I just genuinely don't have a strong opinion. So if it's like someone saying, well, where are we going to eat? Whatever. I don't need to agonize over the fact that I have to have opinion. If I really say like, I honestly don't mind or, or give me three options and then like whatever, you know, between those three and, or I'll rule something out. But to, for us to spend or to do the work of what are the things that I'm passionate about and that I do feel strongly about and make sure that you know, I mean, sometimes we even have to rehearse in our heads, like how would I assert this opinion or how would I take this stand? Because sometimes it could be something related to your faith or whatever, where you're going to have to draw a line. And so you have to be willing and, and ready to do that. And so um, so I think it's very freeing, all that to say, that there are some things that, yeah, we can just let go. It's not, you know, if I like seven different pizza toppings and they only choose three of them, that's great. But if I'm like full on allergic to something or can't stand it, you know, find a way, like you said, put your foot in there and and say that. I think that's so good. Um, Okay. You talk a lot about the importance of integrity and I want you to, um, because you do this in the book, you kind of tell on yourself a little bit about a challenge that you were given (laughs) to, um, to not lie for an entire day, which again, most of us are going to very self-assumptively say, I can easily do that. That's super easy. I'm not, you know, I don't lie. Hello. I know about the 10 commandments and whatever, but this is playing back to what we talked about last week about some fears that very much can cause us to tread into this space. So tell us a little bit about the challenge you were given, how well or not well you did on it and what you learned. What was the self-disclosure in that? Well, I figured it would be simple because Mm -hmm. In my head, I think, I just don't lie. Yeah. It's not part of the way I operate. Integrity has always been really big for me because I remember J.R. Ewing in the old Dallas TV series <laughs> say, 
All you have to do is give up integrity, and then your life is easy. Yeah. And I thought, well, to some degree that would be true. But We know was, what happened to him, yeah, so that's not good. And uh, we're still wondering who shot him. <laughs> but, but I look at, at uh, that challenge. Somebody said, okay, it was in a small group study. We said, let's see if we can go for an entire day without lying. And I thought, piece of cake. So I, was, I got a call from one of my clients in a work setting, and they wanted to know if I could help them with something. We're having a, I think it was a tech issue. Could I see if I could get that changed because they kept running into it? So I went to our tech people and I said, several of my clients are running into this problem. Can we give them a solution? And I realized as I was saying it, it wasn't several of my clients. It was one client. <laughs> but I thought if I go with one client, it's not going to be nearly as powerful as if I say, there's a bunch of our clients that are, uh-huh. you know, concerned about this. We need to address it. And it shocked me. And I found out that was for me. Exaggeration was where I did a lot of lying. I did it six more times that day mm. in other things. And so then I went home and ate cookies because I was depressed. <laughs> but it was uh, just to recognize it's subtle. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't intentional, but it, it gave me a chance to really look at that. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, because again, I could see that so much it's it's stuff that sneaks up on us because we're in a situation, we just say something because we think it's the right thing to say or it's going to make the situation go more smoothly. But what does it look like to cultivate integrity in a way that really when the rubber hits the road, we will be able to um, present ourselves in a way that is true to ourselves? I think it's a matter of slowing down again. And asking ourselves with what I'm about to say, is it accurate? Is it true? Am I using this as flattery because I don't want to, you know, it's when the person you're dating says, does this make me look fat or does this look good on me? It's like, well, that's a hard question to respond to in any situation. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to be honest, but talk through things, even to be able to say, that's a really tough question, because if I say this, if I say this, and open the door for real life dialogue around it. But I think that's, that's probably where I start. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's so funny. It reminds me of the other day, because I have a roommate, a housemate, and she came up, she was getting ready to head off for a lunch with someone. And she said, well, what do you think about this outfit? And my first thought was just say it's okay because honestly, she's just doing a lunch and does it really matter, you know, and maybe not hurting her feelings would be better for her day. (laughs) And I actually was just like, I was prompted and I was like, okay, I'm getting a really strong grandma vibe from that one. And (laughs) I would just highly recommend. And then I, and then I of course try to sandwich because I'm like, the pants are good. The shoes are fine. I said, just this like jackety thing you have going on, try to mix that up. And then she was like, really? And then of course she has to ask me follow-up questions because she's like, well, what about it? Do I need to get rid of this thing? And so it really ended up, I I ended up saying, yeah, that one I would highly recommend just getting rid of. I don't think you're going to be able to pair that with anything that's going to be good. But I think it helped because, again, I don't know that she was necessarily too tied to that jacket, but um, but she really did. She got rid of it. And she's like, yeah, that's good. I just want to, you know, and, I, and it was kind of a lunch where she wanted to make a good impression. And so that's kind of what made me decide, like, this actually is kind of important and I want to help her out. Well, it's there a fine line. Of, yeah. And you want to be honest. I'm sure you run into it when you have guests that say something that you think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But how do you affirm them or 
what do you do with it when you're on the air with it? Right. And we do that in every everyday conversation. So <laughs> not you though, Mike. Not Thank you. you. Yeah. No, not you. It's I've all been the, listening. It's the other guests. Yeah, of course. It's the other guests. Okay. You are very passionate about communication, and that's one of the things that you talk about here about the need to communicate. Um, it's something that many of us struggle with. What? Um, and this is where I'll. You can be as curmudgeonly as you want, and because our audience can handle it. What would you say is your advice for a twenty or thirty? something when it comes to communicating well um what you know what are some of the problems you see with communications especially as you're looking like cross-generationally like help younger adults with really what are some of the things where you know yeah there's room for improvement there and how can they do it better and what do they need to keep in mind i could think of two things that are probably almost the key to conversation one of them is um curiosity. Because if I am truly curious, then I'm not trying to talk to impress you. And I think it's so easy. I know when I was in my 20s or 30s, it was, uh, I had to say the right things. And how do I respond to this? What do I say next? But if I'm curious, then it takes the pressure off of focusing on me. I want to know deeper, even probably my favorite phrase is, tell me more is to have you give a response to something we'll be talking about. I'll say, well, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. And then you tell me more, and I'll ask another similar question. Well, what did that look like? You know, how, how do you feel about it now? How has that impacted you? What, how have things changed for you? And not as a gimmick to make conversations run better, but it's just to know. I have a friend who's a um, uh, homicide detective up in Seattle, and she said that's her favorite question. Is just her favorite statement. She says, I use it when I arrest people. She says, because they don't want to talk at all. But if I ask them a question, they tell me about them and they tell me something. And then I say, well, tell me more. She said, they'll tell me about stuff, crimes they committed before. Mm -hmm. She says, it just opens the door for it. So I think curiosity, if we can just learn to be honestly curious about the other people that we talk to. And the other part of it is to slow down. And to not feel like we have to fill space, but just listen. Mm -hmm. Because people are starved to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And you know, when somebody talks to you and they ask you a question, you do all the talking and they just listen. And then you go home and you tell somebody what a great conversationalist they were. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't <laughs> say anything. They just listen. And it's a gift to people mm -hmm. because it's so easy to talk. And in a noisy world where people are talking... If we listen genuinely and deeply to somebody else, it's such a gift because they don't get that. They, mm -hmm. they usually don't hear it. I think if I was going to tell a 20-year-old, what would you do? What should you do to make your conversations really stronger? Just really be curious and just listen more than you talk. Mm -hmm. They say God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I was just in a conversation with a woman um, at church that I did not know well, and she ended up sitting near me, and another friend was with me as well. And she just, I mean, not knowing either of us, she was so great at kind of that tell me more thing of she just asked a very common question about us, probably like, what do we do or whatever. 
But then she had at least like she leaned in and had at least like three follow up questions. And we're like, you know, it's so shocking to us. Like, why would she even care what we're about, you know, or why? Did, I'm sure she has her own life and she was, you know, older. And so we're like, you know, she probably doesn't even care about, you know, our stories or whatever. But just the posture she had and the way that she was so, like you said, curious and asking follow up questions. We both were talking about that and just saying that is so rare. Someone that can do that well and seem so genuinely interested i just think that's great we can practice asking questions like that Mm -hmm. it makes it easier for somebody who doesn't know how to run a conversation right because you don't have to have as many topics available right you explore the other person and that leads to more topics just whatever they come up with that's something new to explore yeah you know it's so interesting because here at boundless we've talked largely uh or, or a lot in the last year and a half two years about cancel culture and the whole climate of toxicity of people just separating into tribes and being unwilling to listen to people who disagree with them and whatever. And just that whole idea of being curious, leaning in when someone shares an opinion, say, tell me more. I mean, don't immediately say, oh, well, that's why you and I disagree, or that's why you're clearly, you know, X, Y, Z in this camp. It's so easy to just paint pictures of people and cordon them off based on a single opinion or alignment with something or some platform. Um, But to be that person that sees them as a person first is so valuable. And to listen for the purpose of understanding, not to reply, because it's so easy to ask questions so that I'm waiting for you to be done so that I can give you my ideas. Yeah. So I'm doing it so that I can understand. Yeah. Okay. Final question. I think we often um, overplay the idea of people who are optimists. Um, I consider myself an optimist and, you know, it kind of reminds me of like C.S. Lewis where he said there are nice people and there are new people. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you just might be nice because you were made nice. So don't take credit for that. Um, So we talk a lot about optimism, but you say there's a lot more value in what you call gratitude and the ability to just look and approach your circumstances um, really with an open hand and see the people around you as, uh, you know, be as you being willing to affirm and recognize uh, the uniqueness. In fact, you one story I like from the book was where you um, had some hotel staff when you were training in Arizona who had written you a welcome sign and it was far from perfect. Um, in fact, it was pretty much broken English as far as I remember the, the tale of that. But, but it still had an impact on you. Tell us why. Well, I walked in to set up for a seminar and I was, I was the only one in the room. And that's usually the case because the, the hotel staff will set up a room ahead of time and then disappear because they find great joy I've discovered in making the room perfect and then be invisible. So when they come in and, you know, most people, they change the coffee, they do other things. Nobody could describe, nobody in the seminar could describe any of the people that did that. Mm-hmm. So by by design, they're invisible. But this one person, he couldn't help it, I guess. And when he was setting up the room, we had a flip chart and he wrote three words, well, W-E-L-L, come, C-O-M-E, Guess, G-U-E-S-S. And I thought, well, that's weird. And then I realized later he was saying, welcome guest. Mm. And it's like it was his way of just saying good morning. Mm-hmm. And I realized my my son is in the restaurant industry, and he says in hospitality, if those people, if all you have to do, they don't speak your language, but all you have to do is just look them in the eye and just greet them mm-hmm. and just say something You've just made their day because you recognize them as a real person. Mm -hmm. And I think 
just the simple gratitude for something like that. And I think that lately I've been finding more gratitude around living in each moment mm-hmm. because it's so easy to say, okay, well, as soon as I'm done with this and I have this and then this and this, and I'm thinking into the future and, or I'm looking into the past at what went wrong. But it's like in this moment, I'm talking to this person, this is going to happen now. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be a memory later, but this is where we are just to be grateful. It's like, I have the opportunity mm-hmm. to have this conversation with someone or whatever it is in life. But gratefulness changes our attitude and it helps me be with other people that I disagree with because it's, I'm grateful for them and the chance we have to do that, which is when we agree to disagree. I don't have to fix them. It's like I see the value of them as a person and just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and so necessary in a culture where relationships have become so transactional, where it's not about the other person. It's about what are you doing for me? What are you getting? I mean, you could have easily said you know, to this guy, Oh, yeah, sign um, one that is not grammatically correct. And two, we need pictures of water. We need blah, 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 and just made it all about business. But to just say, like, you actually wrote that up, and thank you, and and to look them in the eye and and have them be seen and heard. I had lunch with somebody yesterday, that, um, and we were at a a restaurant. The waiter came over and took our order and everything else went back and forth. And he came back and said, "So, so how was your meal? And... I wasn't thinking too much. I mean, I, I've learned to pay attention to him, but the person I was with just said, it was great. You're a good cook. Now, he was joking because mm-hmm. it, he, he didn't cook it, but mm-hmm. it was a little thing that said, I see you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we got to be playful in a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're not the waiter. They are a person mm-hmm. that is in our life at the moment. So That's fun. Well, folks, again, the book is The People Pleaser's Guide to Loving Others Without Losing Yourself. We've been talking to Dr. Mike Bechtel, and uh, we're going to have the links, obviously, um, to what he's about, his own site and stuff like that. But remember that this book, as I said last week, is our um, offer for you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so if you go to Boundless.org this week, you can search for 732. That's this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless, and we're going to send you this book. And so, as I said last week, a great book to read through and then maybe pass on to a friend or get a group of your friends together uh, to go ahead and read it and identify kind of what are some of the things you could grow in even in this new year as you relate to other people. And uh, as Mike says, without losing yourself, not being crazy, not being arrogant, not being like, take me as I am, and I'm just going to be a jerk and you deal with it. But um, just great opportunities for growth. So, Mike, Thanks so much for joining us. It's a privilege. Seven stars, how bright, how far. Further than my eyes can see. Glorious, your heart for Reflected in the
Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we're opening up our inbox to answer one of you, our listeners, questions. And uh, we have got M.T. Wilson here, who's part of our counseling department. We love our counselors here uh, to answer this question. So thanks so much for being here, M.T. Hey, Lisa. Okay, well, let me go ahead and ask the question, and I will have you give a go at a response. Our listener says, I'm a young single woman who just moved to a new city for a job. I joined the young adults group at a new church, and the young adults pastor is a single guy who's a few years older than me. We've only known each other a few weeks, but I can tell he's interested in me. He's asked me to volunteer at the church, and recently when my car broke down, he volunteered to be my Uber driver until I got a new car. I really enjoy spending time with him, but I'm not looking for a relationship right now. I think it's more important for me to create community and build friendships before I start dating. How can I accept his generosity, but create friendship boundaries, especially since he's the young adult's pastor? Okay, Lisa. Well, first of all, I want to commend this young lady for her intentional desire to build Christian community in her new city. And I think it says a lot about the value of her faith commitment just straight from the get-go. You know, the Bible, um, there's a familiar passage in the Bible that all of us have heard. It's just usually talked about when it comes to weddings and marriage. And it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I understand uh, talking to a single adult audience that this verse could be a little disheartening when it comes to those who want to be married. However, I think the Bible is telling us something even more fundamental uh, than a message about marriage. And, And that is, it's not good for any person, man or woman to live as an island to themselves. So it's critically important for us to have a vibrant Christian community for support. Now, I bring that up not only to applaud this young woman's values around Christian community, but it also serves as a backdrop for why her question is important. Because sometimes we're a little skittish to set a boundary for fear that somebody's going to misinterpret us or be upset with us. But like author Stephen Covey says, it's helpful for us to remember the bigger burning yes in order to have the confidence to set a boundary that might be perceived as a no by others. What I mean by that is, in this case, the burning yes is her prioritizing and protecting the value of building a Christian community. And the no is setting reasonable boundaries with the young adults pastor, whom she might be interested in, just not now. Okay, so anyway, that's all set up for the question. So the reality is, when we're in a pinch, we can graciously accept generosity from other people. But given that vibe she's getting from the young adults pastor, she should definitely be careful with her nonverbals. You know, when we're interested in somebody, we have a tendency to give off verbal and nonverbal cues that we're interested, right? If she's not ready to consider that right now, and I totally understand why, given her priority for, you know, establishing a Christian community right now, she just needs to be careful with anything that might be flirtatious or overly grateful in her response to him. Okay, so how we communicate verbally and non-verbally with other people, that's on our side of the equation. How he interprets it, of course, well, that's on his side. So, you know, when we're in an emergency situation like what she's in, we do what we have to do. It might be wise, however, as soon as the transportation crisis shakes out a little bit, to find a female friend to help her until she gets her own ride again. That way she's not overly dependent on him and unintentionally creating some sort of intimacy that might be misinterpreted. Now, like I said before, whatever he's thinking about the two of them is on his side of the equation. But from her side of things, she should just assume at this point it's just a friendship and respond accordingly with boundaries that reflect that. So he's going to respond one of two ways. Either he's going to follow her suit, okay, whether or not he has feelings towards her, or 
at some point he's going to use words to tell her that he wants something more. And if he does that, then she can deal with that in an honest conversation if and when it comes up. Now, that's especially important given his position as the young adults pastor. Remember that bigger yes, right? This is about preserving her new and emerging Christian support community, which is super important for a single adult in a brand new city. If in time she's interested in the possibility of a relationship with this guy, well, she can change the way she interacts with him. But it's not wise for her to do that until she's built a solid support community, in particular, some solid female friends that can serve as an accountability network for that kind of potential relationship in the future. Th does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, great advice. And thanks for weighing in on that, MT. Um, well, folks, uh, as always, we do want to hear from you. So if you write to us at editor at boundless.org, it may be to ask a question for a future show, or maybe it's just to ask a question about something you're going through, or maybe it's just to give some feedback. We love to hear from you. And between Hannah and myself, we do man our inbox and uh, definitely will respond to suggestions and feedback and stuff. So again, we are a community of single young adults. And so we want to hear from you and want you to be part of the conversation. So please do that. And of course, you can find us on social, specifically Facebook and Instagram as well. So, well, I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.